Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with a special guest today. He's a voice that I would say everyone in the sporting world would be familiar with, but particularly in Wisconsin, he is the play-by-play man for the Brewers. He uh, announces NBA and TNT. You hear him on March Madness. You hear him on the Big Ten Network. You hear him during the MLB playoffs, Brian Anderson. I I don't know whether I I missed anything there, but uh, (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you're here with us today. Man, it's great to be here. Um, I'm, I'm wishing there were different circumstances, but um, I'm glad to be with you today. Through the miracle of technology, we can keep our social distancing and still uh, come together for uh, a little podcast. So a pleasure to be with you, Kane. So we spoke about this just briefly before I started recording, but uh, along with you know just about anyone that works uh, around basketball, around baseball, this time of year is... Uh, crazy for the sports world and, and for you in particular you'd be bouncing from brewers to march madness to uh everything else nba playoffs with tnt as as i already mentioned so uh this is probably this might be the quietest march you've had in i, I don't know how long a decade 15 years but what, what are you doing yeah. with yourself i mean this is this is very unfamiliar territory for you. <laughs> well it's it's definitely the longest um stretch without games i've had in my adult life, in my career, I'm 48 years of age. I've always, um, as a professional, you know, I, I, I got a minor league broadcasting job, minor league baseball broadcasting job right after I graduated. So I graduated in December of 93. I jumped in doing minor league baseball um, in April of 94. And ever since then, I've been <laughs> busy and March has never been a time that I've been home. You're always ramping up for a baseball season in the beginning uh, when I I was working for the San Antonio Spurs as well. And during those times, um, you know, they were always competing in the postseason. And when I started with the Spurs was 99. So that was their first championship. And I was there for their first four championships. So this is a strange Scenario for me, I've been trying to make the most of my time. I, I've um, I built out a studio in my basement, so it's just a small area that I can uh, do shows like this and do various interviews, FaceTime interviews. Uh, we're going to be, depending on how long this goes, but we're going to be asked to provide some content. So um, I spent two weeks just kind of building that out. It was always kind of a makeshift studio to begin with. So I finished it off and got it really neat and nice. And so um, that was done. Now that I'm finished with that, I've just been doing different chores around the house, just (laughs) household chores and uh, whatever my wife comes up with on that particular day. We've spent a lot of time together as a family. We've also respected each other's space and tried to give each other that space. My daughter, who's 20, is home from Marquette. So she's taking classes online and you know, we're trying to give her her space too, because she's actually busy during the days in her various virtual classrooms. So 
it's been a weird experience, but I'm, I've tried to make the most of it, take advantage of it. I'm rarely home this much, so it's been nice to get involved with some different projects and, and just be home and be present with my family. I'm, um, I'm actually really enjoying that part of it. I can't wait to get back to work and do what we do and try to get the world put back together after this coronavirus. Um, my, I've got neighbors that are doctors. My next door neighbor is the head of infectious disease. And I'm just so thankful for them, for him, uh, for all the medical workers out there in the entire industry. And they're, they're putting in those long hours and we're just, we're very thankful. So I'm trying to do my part. His advice to me was stay home and don't make things harder for us. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So I had to laugh when you mentioned your daughter because uh, I am, so I'm 29 and I haven't lived at home for a long, long time. And because all this, this went down, I came back home with my parents and, uh, you know, thankfully everyone's getting along uh, two weeks into this. But as you said, we don't really know uh, how long this is going to last, but you touched on where this all started for you. And I'm interested in the baseball player, Brian Anderson. You're at St. Mary's University in Texas. You were starting catcher. The team was really good. But when I've read about you and heard you speak about your career and the path you went down, uh, you have mentioned that the broadcasting part of this or the media side of this was still plan B when you were at college. So I, I want to know more about Brian Anderson, the baseball player. <laughs> well, obviously, I wasn't good enough to continue on. And uh, that was plan A to be <laughs> a professional baseball player. And you know, my older brother, who has uh, ties to Australia, as a matter of fact. He, he was uh, among the first group of professional players um, that played in Australia. He played for the huh. Waverly Reds, believe it or not. And he, one of his pitching coaches and mentors was Phil Dale, who's a legend, as you know, uh-huh. and in the baseball world in Australia. So I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And um, he was five years older than me. He was a, a pitcher. He was, um, he was signed out of college with the Cincinnati Reds. He made it to the big leagues briefly with the Reds in 93. Um, my senior year in college would, was 93. Um, so there was a lot of parallels with his career and mine, and his career really helped mine in different ways. I, I, you know, I realized probably two years too late I wasn't going to be good enough <laughs> to play professionally. I just I didn't quite have the skills. I was, I was a really – good defensive player. I was a good catcher. My brother was a pitcher. So, you know, I was always the kid who could catch and, you know, I hit for a decent average. I didn't have much power and just what, you know, I'm not that, that big either. Just I'm 5'9", 165 pounds and um, just really not quite skilled enough to be an offensive threat as a professional. So I realized, I'll tell you a story. When I, when I really Uh, decided that broadcasting was going to be my future. Um, I was ready to catch a game. I just warmed up the starting pitcher, who was a Wisconsin guy, as a matter of fact. His name's Mike Zalecki from Mm -hmm. Milwaukee and was a longtime college baseball coach and still is here in uh, Wisconsin. But he was our pitcher. We were playing Rice in Houston, and I I warmed him up. I'm walking back to the, the dugout now. We're the visiting team, so we're batting first. So I'm walking back. I got all my gear on. We've just got the starting pitcher ready to roll. And one of the Cincinnati Red scouts, who I knew pretty well and had been uh, teammates with my brother in the Red system, his name's Johnny Almarez, he waved me over. And just real quick, he was, hey, come over here. I want to talk to you. I, wanna, I got a question to ask. And this is right before a game. And 
he had his boss there, Julian Mock, was the scouting director of the Reds. And he goes, I want to introduce you to Julian Mock. And so I'm thinking, man, this is um, this is pretty <laughs> powerful, right? This is my chance. Um, the scouting director wants to meet me. You know, the, this, this regional scout is here scouting my game. They want to talk to me really quick. I'm like, yeah, things are back on track now. And he asked me in that moment, he said, I've been telling Julian about you. And again, my eagerness is, is starting to rise here. And he goes, yeah, he, I, I told him, I think you'd make a great scout <laughs> and just an absolute crusher, man. I thought, oh man, you got to be kidding me. I had to go catch a game. Um, so my head was spinning the whole game. I was totally not into it. Just like, wow, my career is over, I guess, after, <laughs> after this. So anyway, that, that's kind of a funny story that, you know, he, you know, he never saw me as a professional player, but we were really good friends and we talked a lot and he was actually probing me because he thought I would make a good scout. So he'd ask me about all these players and uh, that we would play against in my conference. And, you know, a number of them got drafted. We had four players drafted off my team. Um, so I think he kind of was looking out for me in, in a different way. And um, I did have an offer from him. At, at the end of my senior year, he offered me a job to go into scouting school and be a, a baseball scout. At the same time, I had an offer to go be a minor league broadcaster in San Antonio, the city I, I was in. So I actually had two job offers when I graduated from college. One of them paid about $30,000 a year to be a scout, go to scouting school. And, you know, you get a car, an expense account, the whole deal. And the other paid $25 a game to be a broadcaster. <laughs> and like an idiot, I chose broadcasting because uh, it's something I really wanted to pursue. And I took the job and I clocked in with the ushers and I made $25 a game. And that's kind of what started my play-by-play -play broadcasting career, 1994. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitches off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're on the front lines or quarantined at home, the fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables, live on site, 24-7. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to 750 bucks. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. Yeah, funnily enough, uh, the, the job offer to be a scout maybe uh, a few years down the track, you're like, huh, that actually wasn't as, as crushing as what it was to me at the time. But uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned that that job where you got your start as play-by-play. But uh, I was watching, uh, I mentioned this to you, the EJ's Journalism School, the, the video that you had and the Q&A uh, that you had last week, which you can still find uh, on Brian's Twitter, by the way. It's well worth watching if you have any interest in getting into media or uh, this industry at all. It was um, certainly well worth the time. But I know that you mentioned uh, the fact that you started with production crews and started um, on the camera. Uh, you were doing a lot of work on the camera. So I was curious listening to that, uh, 
why play-by-play was always the, the draw for you and where you wanted to end up? Well, I, had a, I did have some offers and some opportunities um, going to, to the studio work to be a news reporter, sports reporter, sports anchor, kind of the path Ernie took. And I, that never – and I went in and I, I had a lot of good friends in San Antonio, um, anchors, sports personalities that I, I was friends with and that I was around a lot with the San Antonio Spurs. So I had access to them and I would go in and just kind of watch and shadow these guys um, do the local sports. And I just, I think it's a great career and I, I do have a ton of respect for reporters and anchors. I just never felt like it was for me. It, to me, that just felt like a regular job. I would rather go be a scout than do that. I would rather go into PR than be an anchor. Um, at that time, that was my thinking at that time. And I've never really anchored um, I, I, I still to this day have never read off a teleprompter in my <laughs> life. So I, I just figured, you know, the, yeah, I kind of sat down and I, and I was at a lot of games as a handheld camera operator. And so I was covering the Spurs and other events. I, I did a lot of boxing, um, a lot of college sports, college basketball, college football. And I was running cameras, sometimes the hard camera, you know, the ones upstairs, the lenses. Yeah. And most of the time, the handheld, because I was the young athletic guy that all the old, older camera guys, they didn't want to throw that camera on their shoulder anymore. So they made the young guy do it. <laughs> and what I, when I started to sit down and make a list of things I enjoyed about this and what I wanted to do, I, I was totally content to make a career out of being a camera operator or work in production or graphics. I was very content. I actually really enjoyed that. I thought I could make a contribution. Um, but I did have it in my mind that being at the games, being at the event, um, was why I got into this business in the first place, which is what intrigued me about the scouting world. You know, you want to have an impact, but you want to be at the games. You want to feel the energy. You want to be able to, um, to go where a live event is happening. And so that's kind of where I started from. Like I ruled out the news anchor, sports anchor side of it and went into the live sports side of it. So I really kept the discipline approach about half the, the year, six months out of the year, I was a minor league radio play-by-play <laughs> announcer. And the other six months of the year, I did whatever I could, A, to help me become a better broadcaster, meaning these camera jobs and these tech jobs I took, there's great art and skill in that. But it also afforded me a chance to meet people in the industry, the broadcasters, the play-by-play announcers. Little did I know at that time, it also kind of kind of stereotyped me and defined me as a, a tech person. So I can remember at one point when I was to the Spurs that I wanted to get on the air and the response was, well, you're a cameraman. <laughs> and and my response was, well, I do both. I'm, I'm a minor league radio play-by-play announcer. And the, the answer I got was, you're going to have to make a decision, tech or talent. And talent's what they call announcers in the industry. Uh, tech is what they call the crew behind the scenes. So he, he, he was kind of forcing me to make a decision, tech or talent. But I, what I really needed the job yeah. because the more important part of that was I needed to make an income in the six months I wasn't doing minor league baseball. And I was making twice, maybe three times as much in salary and in gig 
money than I was doing minor league baseball. So I, I had to make a tough choice, say, well, I'm doing both as long as I can until I can be a full-time announcer. So, and I did that from 94 to 99. I did that. And the one year with the Spurs, when they finally put me on the air in this six-month non-minor league baseball schedule that I'm telling you about, um, during that time, um, I did both. I remember, you know, setting up the cameras, phasing the cameras, white balancing the cameras, and then going upstairs, changing into a suit, and then being the sideline reporter for the game because I still needed that extra job. I kind of did two jobs. I was the setup guy at that time for Jumbotron for Spurs, like the in-house. Um, and I still needed the money um, at, from the tech side of it. So I think I was making like $250 a game doing the setup and running camera. And I, and I think I was making like 200 a game as the reporter <laughs> when I first started. <laughs> so, and then ultimately, you know, I got offered the full-time job. That was after the 99 season. So going into 2000, from 94 to 99, I did tech and talent work. And then beginning in 2000 with the Spurs, I was able to get away from all the technical jobs and just become an announcer. And that's when things just kind of took off for me, just the way people saw me. Uh, and it really just took me going somewhere else because everybody had had it in their mind that I was uh, a cameraman trying to become an announcer. Right. And in those days, I think that was, I think they would be the same now. It's just like, when teams have broadcasting jobs open, they're not looking at their camera operators. They're just not. And I still feel, feel very connected to all the crew and tech out there, tech people out there, because I'm one of them. And I just kind of decided I'm just, I'm doing this. I'm not going to listen to what people are saying about me, what, how they've kind of branded me and typecasted me into something. I'm a lot of things. I'm not just an announcer and I'm not just a cameraman. And both jobs require great skill and great artistry. And I enjoyed doing both. So I did both for a long time. So I want to remind you guys about our friends at D1 Milwaukee, our very first local sponsor for Lockdown Bucks. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. All coaches are former D1 collegiate strength and conditioning coaches and athletes. They build science-based programs created specifically to improve athletic performance in a state-of-the-art facility. But given that times are a little bit uncertain right now, we want to move on to their summer camps that they have coming up for your kids. For 7 to 11-year-olds, they will focus on the fundamentals of athleticism. They will spend time each day developing running mechanics, working on balance and coordination, utilizing the fundamentals of movements. The coaches will create a fun, active environment for your young athlete to train in. And for 12 to 14-year-olds, they're going to give your athlete a competitive edge on their peers, focusing on linear speed and change of direction. Along with progressions in strength training, your athlete will develop extremely quickly with our coaches' expert instruction. In order to play with the best, you need to train with the best. A reminder that D1 is located in the Mech 1 Pavilions right off I-43. If you want to get more information, you can hit them up at d1training.com. Keep those summer camps in mind. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. Someone who, uh, in my position, I'm freelancing. I basically split my time between Melbourne and Milwaukee. And my whole time in Australia is basically trying to ensure that I 
earn enough money to to allow myself to pay my way back to Milwaukee. I it's I I, I respect that for sure. That that's um, probably a good story for people to hear that are in that position and trying to to break through. But this is a Bucks podcast, and when I think about your voice and the Bucks. There hasn't been a, a lot of great playoff moments. Certainly last year was a great run. But two games that you've been calling, the Jared Bayless game winner against Chicago in 2015 game four, which was actually my first trip to Milwaukee. It was the second game I ever saw live of the Bucks. <laughs> it was great to be in the building for that one. And the other one was actually, uh, I think, the second NBA game I ever covered, game one against Boston uh, in 2018. Uh, you, there hasn't been many moments, but you've you seem to be tied to to the biggest shots and and the biggest moments <laughs> in Bucks playoffs in recent history. What are, what are your memories of of those two games? Well, I, I remember them both very, well, and I, I remember just being so glad when so when you're on a playoff run like we do at Turner at TNT, or the, especially the first round, yeah. um, you might do so. Last year, for example. I did every series in the first round in the Western Conference. I did eight teams, four different <laughs> series. So you're constantly bouncing from one city to the other, and it's usually on an everyday, every other day uh, rotation. What, and what I remember about those Milwaukee assignments, especially the Bulls-Bucks series, and I believe I did three of those games, maybe four, but I just remember like how refreshing it was to not only – to be home, uh, to be able to drive to Chicago for those road games for the Bucks in that series, just so the ease of yeah um, was really really good for me. And and I just remembered, you know, like I had done the Brewers in the postseason twice. I had done the Brewers in 2008 um, in the NLDS. They lost to the Phillies. I had done the Brewers in the 2011 NLCS against the Cardinals. So when you do your team or at least your market where people know you and obviously people in Milwaukee know me as the Brewers announcer too. And they're expecting a level of favoritism that Jim <laughs> Paschke would offer. <laughs> and you know, you just can't do that. And I got, I got beat up pretty badly by Brewers fans in 08 and in 2011. Uh, and so there's part of me that was very happy to be home, to be in the Bradley center, um, just to be a part of that experience and, you know, be able to tell Milwaukee's story because I know it really well and uh, the respect I have for the city and, and the sports fans in this market. So I enjoyed that part of it a lot. But I knew it was going to be coming, um, that there was going to be some blowback. And, you know, any time uh, something doesn't go the Bucks way with officiating or whatever it may be, you know, people are expecting you to be the homer guy. And you just can't do that on a national broadcast. So I was bracing for that a little bit. So I was really happy that not only Jared Bayless hit the game winner just for his career, um, but also that it came at it came in Milwaukee. So if somebody hits a game winner and it's the road team, you know it's it's a great moment, no question. And you can get loud as a play-by-play announcer. But there's just something extra that the home team offers. Um, that you just don't get. I mean, think about Kawhi hitting that shot yeah. against the Sixers in the corner, right? If that happened on the road, it's going to be a great moment and a great call and all of that from Kevin Harlan, but it's not going to be epic like it was. 
because the home crowd just just engulfs um, that kind of moment. So that that's what I remember about that. And the other one was in Boston, you know, the one you're talking about with Middleton and his incredible shot and the fact <laughs> that the Bucks were dead to, in the water. I mean, they looked like they were done. Uh, Middleton hits probably a 35-footer, I think it was, and uh, a great moment. You know, Joe Prunty was is a very good friend of mine, was the head coach of the Bucks. Um, I was really proud of him, the way he handled that whole scenario. I had known Joe since our San Antonio Spurs days when I was a cameraman and he was the video coordinator and go way back with Prunty and Mike Budenholzer and PJ Carlissimo and Mike Brown and just a litany of, of assistant coaches that came through there that ended up as head coaches. Um, so I was really proud of Joe and, you know, the Bucks just didn't quite have enough. Um, but those were some special games and special moments. And you could just see as Giannis is starting to develop his game and now they're starting to talk about how to build around Giannis and the pieces that they've actually put together now. Um, that That's what was exciting. You know, it didn't work out the way they wanted to in that series. And I'm working with Kevin McHale in that series too, right? So it's, it's the Milwaukee guy against the Boston <laughs> Celtics legend. And, you know, he was great. He's always great to work with and so, so smart and I always learn a lot from Kevin. Um, and our conversations would, would uh, involve the Bucks and what he sees in the Bucks, and, you know, the next steps for them. And then they go ahead and take some of those next steps. So it was kind of like the Celtics were ready and almost a, almost a finished product, much more of a finished product than the Bucks at that point. Um, and you could tell the Bucks were on the rise. So you spoke about the the travel you have during the playoffs, and I, I, I this is a funny funny kind of memory that I have because you were I believe the next day you had to go to Miami, and the only reason I know that is because I had a wedding down in Florida, so I covered uh, game one and two. Actually, it would have been after game one and two, so I covered game one and two, and uh, I've sort of gotten over this just with so much travel during the NBA season and covering the Bucks. But I haven't always been the best flyer, and I remember getting on this flight. And David Ortiz was on this flight. Kevin McHale was on the flight because uh, you guys were obviously working together and you were on the flight. And I was heading down to Florida and my girlfriend at the time texted me and said, oh, how are you feeling about the flight? And I said, oh, so we've got Ortiz, McHale and Brian Anderson on the flight. Everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> I, I remember that flight. So there you go. So that, that was always something that, that I, I remember when I, when I think about you and the travel and, and covering the game. But uh, I, I have to ask you, you were also there for the Damian Lillard shot last year that ended the series. So I, I'm curious at this point whether you think that any game, any playoff game that you're covering, if someone needs to hit a shot from near half court, it, it's probably going in. <laughs> right, right. I, it was very similar to the spot Middleton hit his. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the official number on Middleton's. I'm, I'm assuming 33, 35 feet. Um, Lillard's was 37 officially and you knew it was I mean he wasn't going to pass it you knew that first of all it was right <laughs> he was right in front of me that all worked out great you know it was just um it was just one of those like moments that you you see in dream sequences I guess or in a movie where things just stop you know everybody just kind of things just stop I don't remember what I said I, I was just totally out of body experience and that's happened a lot on a lot of big calls and big moments. That's something that uh, was a really interesting phenomenon to me as a broadcaster when I would get into some of these moments 
and you would not know what you said or how you said it or if you even called it well. And um, that was an incredible moment, uh, one of the best moments I've ever witnessed uh, and ever called, certainly. And, you know, once you make that call and the game ends, and not only was it a game winner, just to be, remind everybody, it was a series-ending <laughs> shot. And it was it was a shot over Paul George, who's one of the great defenders in the league. And Damon Lillard's given up four or five inches on Paul George. And so you're kind of thinking this is going to overtime. I mean, that was my first instinct. Like, this is going to overtime. And um, he made it. <laughs> and now it's my, my, my only thought was, are you kidding me? I mean, are you, like, are you kidding me that Damian Lillard would just clear everybody away, dribble the clock down, and shoot a 37-footer over Paul George and make it to win the game and win the series? Uh, it, was, it was a really special moment. Um, and the Blazers were really close to taking down the Nuggets in the next round and going to the Western Conference Finals. And and I found myself, because I called that next series as well, but it's like this – it, it kind of reminded me of the Memorial Day miracle that Sean Elliott hit for the San Antonio Spurs yeah. to beat the Blazers. And I, I was a cameraman for that event, for that game. I was there. Yeah. And I can just – I was having all these flashbacks like, wow, I've never seen anything like that other than that shot. Um, and look where I am now versus where I was then and how things have changed. Uh, and I probably said the same thing in the PL headset when I was running camera when Sean Elliott made that shot uh, as I was yeah. on the air on a microphone on a live mic with TNT. I was probably screaming like, oh, are you kidding? <laughs> so – yeah, it was a cool moment to be a part of, and there's a great picture that I don't know who shot it. It was, it was a sports photographer. I have it on my phone. He sent it to me, and it was kind of the whole scene. Damian Lillard's brother and sister, I believe, were sitting right next to us on the first row, and he kind of came over to them after he made it. He was ten, you know, five, ten feet away from where he made the shot, but um, that just that swell of players coming over near the table, and I'm standing up and. Uh, there's a pretty fun picture of me just like, you know, wide, <laughs> open-jawed, wide-eyed. Wide um, that's a good capture of that moment. But it's hard to kind of remember the moment itself right now other than what I've seen in replays because yeah. you do go into another gear and just a, a real um, out-of-body kind of mentality. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just – it's a weird sensation – I had no idea what I had said. I immediately went and said, man, I, I need to listen to this now to see how it sounded because I, I certainly don't want to ever ruin a moment or ruin an event uh, like that. And thank goodness it was, it was good. So I've only got a couple more to, before we wrap this up. And you, and you sort of already touched on this, and I was glad you did because one of the things I was curious about um, as, you, as you were speaking to, the fact that you are the local guy for the Brewers. And then you'll be switching uh, into whether it's MLB playoffs, NBA playoffs. So how, you know, I mean, you, you've, you've been doing it for a long time. So maybe this is something that uh, has become second nature to you. But how do you prepare for switching between local and national broadcast? Because as you sort of said, I mean, people are on both sides very quick to criticize whether it's uh, maybe a bias on a national broadcast or, or not enough 
homerism on the local broadcast. We've definitely seen that with with the Bucks in previous years, where fans have been displeased with with some broadcasts. But how do you, as as a professional, prepare yourself for that, and and how do you find that balance? Well, you think about it. There is a definite difference, and so I, I think the best way to put it is. Um, if you're calling a local game for the local RSN, Fox, Wisconsin, who I work for, to I work for the Brewers, but we our games air on Fox Sports Wisconsin. You're always gonna, you're always gonna give the information and speak through the lens of the Brewers. So if somebody's pitching a great game against the Brewers, um, I, I am pretty fair across the board. I don't do the, really do the Homer broadcast. Yeah. except to say that I'm going to put that in the lens of the Brewers. So if this guy's having a great game, I'm going to speak to what he's doing, you know, what the things that he's doing, but also how it's affecting the Brewers and how, how can the Brewers solve the riddle. Um, if the Brewers lose a game, it's always like, how can they bounce back? You're, so you're not celebrating the successes of the opposition to the same level as you would on a national game. So – if you think about a 10 scale, and I talk a lot about the 10 scale, um, how to, to punch calls. So if the Damian Lillard series winning shot is a 10, that's as loud as I can yell, and that's like the 10 call. Uh, if you're doing a local broadcast and Damian Lillard had made that against the Bucks, yeah. and I'm doing a Bucks game, I wouldn't give that a 10. I would probably keep that at about a 6 or 7 level. Yeah. And – and so that's the difference. And so you, you, you think about it, and uh, when you do a national game, you celebrate every success. So when the Cardinals played the Brewers in 2011 in the NLCS and Albert Pujols hit a home run, I'm just as loud for that home run as I was for a Prince Fielder home run. And that's what bugs people because yeah. they don't hear you do that all the time. And that's sure. okay. I mean, that's, I understand. It's also what bugs people who listen to their home broadcasters the whole year, and then they might listen to their team on a national broadcast, more so at baseball than basketball. But you're not hearing the same kind of um, softening of the blows uh, on a national broadcast as you would a local broadcast. So then it immediately sounds like you're, you're uh, showing favoritism to the other team. And that's almost standard across the board in every sport for the history of live televised events. I mean, I can remember having this conversation with Bob Costas when I was first starting out, and he would say the same thing. He, he would get letters, handwritten or hand-typed, you know, I mean, handwritten or typed letters. They would be sent to the network, and he would get the same kind of thing. Like, you, you are rooting for Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. And so once he told me that, I, and Vin Scully told me the same thing as well. I mean, those are two legends in the industry, and both said the same thing. And I remember Vin, who did a ton of national Dodger games. Obviously, 88 was a famous World Series win for the Dodgers. He was the Dodgers announcer, but he called that on a national level. And he said he even got the same kind of um, critiques <laughs> and same kind of criticism, which if Vin Scully can get criticized – right. And uh, everybody else can too. So that's just part of the part of the gig, and um, it's a different kind of discipline doing a national game versus a local game. Um, you keep things a little more on the surface. Um, it, the, usually, the analysts are 
huge celebrities at, at this level anyway. I mean, the people I work for are all Hall of Famers. And so you, you have to make sure that you're teeing them up and giving them room to be the celebrity, to be the star. Um, there might be a little more interaction on a local broadcast because you're kind of both in it every day. So there are major differences. And, um, you know, at this point, it's, it's habit to be able to go both. But in the beginning, it was something I had to think about and listen to the games back and really organize in my mind. Like, I remember the first playoff series I did with the Brewers, the very first game, Phillies Brewers game one. Um, I started, I was calling everybody by their nickname. So I would say like, J- here's JJ Hardy, here's JJ, you know, JJ takes a strike and calling Prince Field or Prince and calling Ryan Braun, Ryan. Like those are the things immediately you have to yeah. shake. You know, now you have to address the, that person as Fielder and Braun and Hardy. And so, you know, they, it didn't take long because believe me, I heard, I heard from people quickly about that. So uh, you, you mentioned Fox Sports Wisconsin, and I know over the last week or so, you, you've certainly been vocal in terms of um, you know trying to support the guys that you work with, your colleagues. I know it's not just sports right now. Clearly, you know every industry is hurting at the moment, but friends of the podcast here and and voices that and faces that everyone will be very familiar with, with the Brewers and Bucks, Dario Melendez, Craig Kashan. There's a bunch of other guys. Uh, you know, why, why was that so important to you? I know these are guys you work with. It seems like an obvious question, but, but how, how do we all, not just with sports, but other industries stick together and, and get through this at the moment? Because uh, I think um, certainly uh, your voice in, in that time was, was important and, and I'm sure appreciated from, from those guys. Well, I wasn't trying to uh, point any fingers at all. I'm, no, I'm sure. Mostly I want, I just, I want those folks that we work with every day. I want them to know that I care about them that they're extremely talented and we need them. And that's kind of why I, I, I voiced that opinion because, um, you know, we, they're going through a tough time. I went through a similar uh, time during the 99 NBA lockout. Yeah. Um, I was a freelancer back then. I was a handheld cameraman and we were shut down for three months. Um, we thought we were going to be done for the year and I wasn't sure where I was going to earn any income. This is a different situation and everybody has to deal with it in their own way. And <clears throat> it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it's tough for everybody and it's tough for them. And so my goal was to let them know, and I've been talking to a lot of our crew individually, but my goal was just to let them know, like, look, I, I, you're not forgotten. I, I appreciate you. And I'm here to support you and hopefully we'll get the games back soon, but just know that you're valuable and you have great worth on, on our broadcast. And um, so that was my motive. I I wasn't trying to start anything or lead any kind of movement. And I'm still not um, because I, I know, you know, these companies, they, they have tough decisions to make and I respect that. Um, But, you know, from my perspective, I just wanted to let the crew know that I'm with them. All right, as we wrap this up, the last thing I need to ask you about is your is your quarantine beard. As a beard guy myself, um, this <laughs> this next period uh, I, I think is going to be a good opportunity to uh, you know get some impressive growth that obviously you wouldn't have the opportunity to have previously. How uh, are you rolling with this right through quarantine? Is this a commitment? Yeah, this is a commitment for me. <laughs> I I told my wife she asked me when I'm shaving. <laughs> and I told her, I said, I'm not shaving 
till after the first game I do when I come when we come back. So the first game is going to be a memorial to social distancing. And then the next game I'll shave. I, I actually don't really like the beard. It's multiple colors, <laughs> including gray. And um, so I will send you a photo, though. I will take a selfie and send it to you and, and give you a, the latest update on the growth situation. So I'm in. The problem with my beard is it's. I have some Irish blood in me, like my grandfather, and for whatever reason, I don't, I don't dye my hair. I'm totally comfortable going all gray if that's where it goes. It's already salt and pepper as it is, but my beard is red, kind of has a red tint to it and a lot of gray in, in my chin, so it looks like I'm either wearing a wig or I dye my hair, <laughs> which I don't, so I don't understand why this is happening with my face but that's one of the reasons i've never grown a beard is because it's a totally different color than any uh anywhere else and so we'll see how long it goes man i hope it's not so long because i really <laughs> hope i have the opportunity to shave it soon and that means we're all back to work no well either way i, I respect it and I, i'm actually curious to know how harrison barnes is going i didn't get an update i know he was <laughs> growing his beard until the kings got above 500 um i'm not sure <laughs> right. I'm not sure whether that's still happening, but uh, I don't know. I might have to try and track that down. But Brian, to put a rubber band around that thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, we do uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you're back calling games as soon as possible and we're all able to watch live sports again. But uh, uh, thanks again for, for taking the time. This was fun. Yeah, always great to be with you anytime. Happy to do it. You're doing a great job, and we'll look forward to having you back in Milwaukee soon.